Welcome back to the Not Just a Bikini Girl podcast. This is your host, Jasmine Jeffrey, and we have the second Jeffrey of the clan, my husband, Joe. He is an online coach. He's very much like my sounding board. He always has been, to be honest, and I probably take that for granted a little bit, but welcome, babe, to good, the podcast. Good time to admit that. I know. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, so thanks for having me, Jazz. For anybody that doesn't know me, my name is Joe Jeffrey. I'm an online physique coach. And if anybody wants to check out any of my articles and stuff, and maybe before you listen to me, if I need some accreditation, go and have a look at joejeffreycoaching.com. See some of the stuff I've done with clients on there and some of the articles I've written and podcasts that I've done. He also like has that. two podcasts. And like basically, if you want some like nerdy, good bodybuilding science stuff, you go to OPD. If you want some light-hearted food review banter you go to Carbscast so we'll leave both the links down there but the main reason I wanted to get Joe on was more to talk it's going to be like a general overview of post-show transitioning into an off-season what goes on with the body and the mind just because I know that it's something that is going to be coming up a little bit more recently with girls coming out of their shows and also if you haven't competed before ever I think it's good to get that understanding of what the body is doing during that time. So maybe you can try and prep ahead. So the first thing I want to talk about is like from a real basic scientific point of view. Basic and scientific in the same sentence. I don't know if you can get away with that. I can. Let me try. (laughs) So what is going on with the body when you're coming out of your shows from what can arise, like what is going on with the body for it to get to that point, if that makes sense. So through the prep, you've of course been in a in an energy deficient environment for a long period of time, i.e. A, a calorie deficit, either by consuming less food over time or performing more activity over time or, or a combination of both. This will lead to adaptations within yourself that are non-acute in nature. So you, you will have a a physiological drive and a psychological drive, interesting relationship kind of off topic with the gut-brain axes here, how they connect, of fat cell signaling of the hormone ghrelin. So you're going to have an excess of ghrelin, the the hunger hormone, for one. So there's going to be that physiological drive to to overfeed. And um, just by virtue of being in a calorie deficit for so long, you're going to have a a psychological drive to to overfeed, of, of course. So I'll touch on, I use the word, it's not acute in nature because there, and I'm sure many people listening to this knows this, there's no amount of food that you can eat on that day or the night of your show that will actually leave you satiated. You won't wake up. You might get physically full, but I'm sure psychologically you feel like you could eat more. Mm-hmm. You'll wake up the next day and you'll be ready to go all over again. So, I mean, there's not a lot you can do about it, unfortunately, other than what you should do post-show to expedite the process as quickly as possible, which is to not be in energy deficient environment for a long period of time, you know? Because like, I guess there's always been that classic debate between when you are reversing out, because either way, you are going to get some strong ghrelin responses, which yeah. obviously makes it quite difficult in some way sometimes to for girls to adhere to that post-show stage. So talk to us about the pros and cons of what we would call, I guess, a slow reverse, where you slowly build up food, and then versus maybe someone... Because I remember us talking about this last year, when people say when people say they're going up to maintenance calories, 
but people kind of get a little bit like fearful of that. Do you remember that kind of concept we spoke about, which was quite yeah, interesting? That's, that's, I mean, the pros and cons of reverse dieting. The the only pro I can think of is if you psychologically struggle to put your calories where they're actually meant to be, you can ease yourself into it. But that's not a problem in the in in the um, the model itself. That's a problem within yourself that I would rather encourage somebody to fix that relationship with food issue rather than deal with it with slow reverse dieting so i'm trying to remember what we actually spoke about it was really interesting i don't know why it, it, the way you said it actually clicked in my head when people kind of get worried about like going on to maintenance calories and why don't we just saying, talk about why don't we just talk about um do you remember that conversation we had no but why don't we just talk about what actual energy requirements mean to 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 your body composition, right? Because that's going to frame it, okay? So reverse dieting, nobody should be doing. It doesn't make any sense because the, the problems that, it, especially for somebody that has these problems that you're talking about, keeping the conversation to that, their problems are being driven by the fact that they're in an energy deficit. So let's say you finish your, your contest prep, for example, on a 1,000 calories mm. and your maintenance calories are 2,000. I'm pulling these numbers out of my ass, but let's just like use these and... Um, create a hypothesis around this. So let's say you reverse diet, you increase 100 calories a week, so you go to 1-1. One, one. Uh-huh. So are you still in a deficit there? Yeah. Right. So have we actually taken a step to correcting the problem? No. How many times do you see somebody up my food this week and I still lost weight? It's not a good thing, right? Yeah. Either you're still in a deficit or you've just driven your non-exercise activity thermogenesis up because you got erratic from eating more food and more energetic right Mm -hmm. and then you go to one two one three one four let's say it takes you 10 weeks to get to 2000 you've then wasted over two months of time that you could have been progressing Mm. with your body composition you've also wasted over two months of time that you could have been correcting this negative hunger signal Mm -hmm. you've wasted two months of your time that you could have been reinstating your Hormonal function, the entirety of your HPO axes, your thyroidal axes, they're not going to be working the way they should be if you're not in an energy surplus. Mm-hmm. You know, you've wasted time that you could have been having great gym sessions because mm-hmm. you haven't been putting the substrate in there that allows you to escalate the imposed demand of resistance training. So you're just wasting time by reverse dieting, basically. So nobody should do it. You you should simply, and uh, you know, people say worry about gaining fat by increasing calories too high but that's simply against the the laws of thermodynamics right if 2000 is your maintenance then that is what you require to maintain your current body composition at homeostasis oh. you cannot gain fat there you can't gain fat you're not overfeeding you know so no reverse dieting is just nonsense i know lane norton popularized it because he wanted to sell his ebook about it he made some money off other people's suffering i think we need to just move on from it now so would there be scenarios where you would aggressively push over that surplus? Maybe not. Um, it would be class dependent, right? So I'll give an example of a bodybuilder, a male bodybuilder that I've worked with this year. Or let's give the example of Christian, right? Because you saw the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so Christian got very, very lean for his photo shoot. Post photo shoot, the goal was to get back to growing, right? No wasted time. He's serious, he wants to gain muscle, so we need a surplus, right? But also, his body fat was too low to be in a good spot, nervous system-wise, because his stress and his sleep management were poor. At that point, because of the the downstream effects of his 
excessively low body fat, training wasn't good, you know, so what we did there was essentially overshot the maintenance to purposely gain body fat, and but then when body fat was sufficient, we reeled back the maintenance to where we would say, here's an estimation of weight increase that's going to be around the top end of what protein accretion is going to be at, so favorably gaining lean body mass over accumulating body fat, and we will consistently follow this now that body fat's sufficient you could replicate that in like a because everyone that listens to this bikini athlete right let's say let's say you're six week post show and you get um, a hormonal panel done and your androgens are, are in the toilet and your estradiol is in the toilet and progesterone is in the toilet and your thyroid thyroidal axes in the toilet whatever you're going to need to overfeed yeah and, and if you want to get it done quickly you should probably do it more aggressively because fat's easy to lose you, you probably want to be more aggressive with your calorie surplus here, not at the expense of your health, because you don't you don't want to get fat and then have some kind of insulin resistance and stuff, but you want to have enough body fat for you as a biologically unique individual to have sufficient endogenous hormone function. And where that number lies is exactly as I said, highly biologically into individual. I guess that's something that some people struggle with. It's like where like where do you like draw that line in terms of how much weight is enough how much weight is the right amount like how much body weight mm. do you know what i mean like it's always quite difficult i think for people to sort of gauge it and like we've been through this with myself like there's right now i say i'm in like quite a happy place but it's taken me quite a few times to kind of get to that place i'm like okay i know where i like to sit like generally i feel good and my body composition is where I'm happy with and all that sort of stuff. But I think it sometimes takes time. But from like a recovery point of view, there are like different ways that people like to, I guess, like you will feel really battered after your shows. I think sometimes people don't, they think once the show's done and like the first bill, I'll be fine in two weeks. Sometimes it takes like longer for things to settle. Like what sort of things would you recommend people to do maybe from like a recovery aspect, is there certain things that you do with people? It, does it mm. have to change because of the female recovery in response to male recovery? It's going to be highly individual, not only like sexually dimorphic, but also between each individual, right? So your goal post-show really should be, how can I get back to progression as fast as possible? Unless you want to look the same, you know? Mm. It, because let's say you're competing again next year. Well, you only have a finite amount of time to, to progress and, and protein accretion is slow at the best of times in a natural female. You know, we're talking about every gram counts of muscle. Yeah, so every day that you can drive that vector counts because it when you add it all up, it doesn't add to much, you know. So you need all those days. So your goal is to be able to function on a thousand percent as quickly as possible. So yeah, there's absolutely stuff that you, you should do there immediately, which would be to Firstly, as we said, calorically, be in a place where you are in a consistent energy surplus to support reversing any negative metabolic adaptations or hormonal adaptations that were taking place in the prep. Your your training demands, so that your volume, your intensity, your frequency, they should initially be pulled right back to a minimum baseline. Do you think we should be training at all? Some people kind of have um, that argument, don't they? It, mean, it depends what you've done on peak, um, on peak week. I mean, peak week's a pretty good time to take a deload. Um, you could extend that deload. Depends how overreached you are by that point. If if you've accumulated a lot of fatigue over the prep, you will have that fatigue to dissipate at that point. Typically, I'd quite like a client to like deload at the five weeks out mark and then we'll roll in with one more mesocycle, which will be very 
low impact and then we'll deload on peak week and then we can come back to training the following week in a calorie surplus and it generally will feel great when to train with more food and and you can allow training to be your vector of um nutrient partitioning you know so it all kind of clicks quite nicely but if you haven't uh taken a deload for the whole of your prep and you trained on peak week then yeah there's going to be you're going to need quite a bit of time off and you can auto regulate it you could say right when my physical energy is at 10 out of 10 when my perceived recovery is at 10 out of 10 then i'll go back to the gym but until then i, I won't and you're not losing anything you know by not doing that mm. in fact you're, you're taking a one step back to take 10 steps forward mm. do you find people find it hard to like have that deload or is there any sort of things that you find people find difficult with the post-show transitioning to the off-season? Um, not really, because people, um, well, at least my clients, we've had the deload anyway. And if we've worked through, I mean, what's more common with me is someone will sign up and say, I've never needed the deload, we won't, we won't need to deload. I'll generally say, okay, we'll see. And four weeks later, they're begging me for a deload. Hmm. Um, so generally, people aren't actually accumulating as much of a fatigue, like as much stimuli as they could. Which again is something to pay attention to in the growth phase. This is where training really counts. Training, this is our sacrilegious, isn't as important in the contest prep oh. as it is in a growth phase because that's like your main vector to to drive the imposed demand that's going to lead to muscle growth. So you're going to need to drive progressive overload through whatever mechanisms you choose to do so over time. But in a contest prep, you just need to send that mechanical load signal to turn on the machinery that turns on muscle protein synthesis and so your muscle protein synthetic rate is going to be hopefully higher or the same as your muscle protein breakdown rate and you won't lose muscle Mm -hmm. you know um so it's not like we're trying to necessarily progressively overload through prep and stuff like this gone off on a bit of a tangent here but that's right hopefully useful it's still useful Um, i think so you know i don't really find people struggle with with the post show if everything's done properly up to there what about relationships with food then? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're bad, but you need to get on it. So you, you need to begin practicing as hard as it is. We choose this life as bodybuilders, and that includes doing stuff that's very hard. This is one of them that's hard, and we need to suck it up and just be an adult about it sometimes. It's the ability to go out and eat food that you haven't weighed and tracked and not eat like a child. And you need to begin practicing that immediately post-show. And that doesn't mean go out and eat as much as you can. That means practice going out and eating like an adult. But how it sounds silly, but how do you do that? You do it wrong usually. And then you realise and you get better at it like anything. Mm. You get better at it. I remember really clearly in my head a client, I won't name them, that kept telling me, I can't have my I can't have uh, an off plan meal, I can't have a free meal. I just keep going crazy. And I kept saying, This is why we need to have an off plan meal. Next week try again. And it just kept getting a little bit better, and then there'd be a terrible one. And then it'd get a bit better, and then a terrible one. But now that I'm reflecting on it, I can't think of the last time that they were unable to just eat a meal with their mum, who's who they who they eat with, and it not and it cause anxiety or lead to binge eating. And now I'm very confident that they have a great relationship with food. Whereas if I'd said, okay, no, we can't deal with the free meals, just take them out. You know that kid that like never is allowed to have something and when they get it, they go crazy. Yeah. Because we're humans, inevitably, you're going to have to sit down and you're going to have to eat a meal and whether you like it or not, that you're not going to be able to wait. One day that will crop up. Mm. Christmas Day, when you go around your mum's house, we hope, with lockdown stuff, and you sit down at that table, are you really bringing your scales? 
guess. Yeah, if you're prepping, absolutely understand that. That's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah, don't don't get that. me wrong. I'm saying the ability in your off season to have normal behavior around food, not these just constant orthorexic patterns and putting it under the guise of I'm a bodybuilder. Mm. That's lazy. Because, like, when we first were together, we, mm. like, I'm saying, like, I never used to have my meals with you. Like, I would always have to have meals with, like, other people and stuff. Like, from you personally, obviously you've made, well, we've both made some real, like, leaps with that. But, like, from your own personal, not from, like, a client's point of view, but your own personal experience, like, how have you managed to get to the point now? Because I remember when Germany first did the carbs cast and... Everyone was just like, whoa, this is so weird for like bodybuilders to talk about how they're eating food off plan and it actually helped a lot of people normalise it. Right. I'm really proud of the work done with Carbs Cars because it started as just me and Christian would just speak as friends on the phone or something anyway and we'd have a laugh and we started just recording it for a laugh. Didn't I honestly didn't think anyone would ever listen to it. Because Christian was a client that I had to work on a lot with bad food. I'm not like it before anyone thinks this, don't get me wrong, I am not like an eating disorder specialist or anything like that. If I ever have a client that ha- has had an eating disorder, firstly, I- I'm I'm not too open to work with people who have had eating disorders in the past because I'm not a professional. But what about bad relations with food? Yeah, I think this is a bit different. Okay. Um, now, Christian actually did have an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Christian was anorexic in the past. But I don't think I actually learnt that until later when he told me. Mm-hmm. I don't think I actually knew that, and I don't think he brought it up on our original consultation. Dickhead. <laughs> anyway, um, so this was something I had to actively work on with Christian, and part of us working on it was me talking to him about it and normalising it. What do you have for food at the weekend, man? Oh, that sounds great. Where did you go? I said, like, oh, what flavour was that? Oh, you know, doing this with him, creating this rhetoric with him, and not only did it help him, but when we did it on the podcast, it helped loads of other people. We... I mean, I don't, this sound like virtue signaling, but we've genuinely had so many messages from people, man, you've helped me be able to go out with my girlfriend and eat food and not worry about it. I mean, I'm loving life now. I'm not stressed around food. I used to be so anxious to go anywhere. I'm talking about you, though, personally. How have you, with your own stuff, managed to get to the point that you're at now? Well, this is some years ago, so it's hard to speak about, but it is that. It's just putting myself in an uncomfortable situation because I used to be, very anxious and uncomfortable, and I would avoid situation, social situations. But you just have to, you just have to, you just, at the end of the day, you know, I could sit at home and be like, no, I'm a bodybuilder, I'm going to take it serious. Or I can just grow up and do what I'm supposed to do, which is uh, be able to handle myself. But thing, I think it's hard then when you've got, you know, there are certain camps in the industry where it's like, team no days off, every day's a prep day. And I personally, like, I personally just don't vibe with that. I think I did when I was maybe first starting, but... Like, I don't know about you, like, I, I but think, like, um, for me, I always, I always, with everything I do at the moment, I think because we're moving house and we're just, like, trying to get proper adult-like, but I always think I don't, I want whatever we're doing now to be a good influence if we ever have children, do you know what I mean? Because I never want my bodybuilding lifestyle to negatively impact on a child, because I think it can really positively impact them, but I think if you... Especially when it comes to eating relationships and stuff. I think sometimes children can be quite impressionable. Yeah, you don't want to have your kids having to weigh every meal they eat or whatever. You should be able to intuitively choose nutrient-dense sources and eat to your energy requirements, right? I think it's trusting yeah. yourself as well. Like, trusting yourself that you know that you... Like, you know 
if you haven't got scales at one time, even on prep, like, you know roughly what 30 grams of chicken is, or that's like 30 grams of, 30 grams of protein, or, yeah, you yeah. know, when you're having a cheat meal, like, you know how when you're feeling full and when you're not, or you know kind of what you fancy, or you don't have to have every single thing on the plate. Do you know what yeah, I mean? well, that's the thing. Don't get me wrong, because... I mean, I get off on that, like, bodybuilding dedication stuff. Yeah. I, I, I like that stuff. I find it quite interesting. But then and, you still have a free meal but every day. a free yeah. meal doesn't have to mean a large pizza with, you know, a starter and then a tub of ice cream and then five cookies. It can be going to an Italian restaurant with your wife and having a chicken breast salad. But then the next week it might be the pizza if you want it. Mm. It's, it's mindful. And it's in line with your goals. But then what I'm saying is, like, you are still, you are very dedicated, but you're not the team where it's like, no, they don't have an off plan the whole week or ever in the off season. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, it seemed to be a guilty thing. I think that's where the struggles kind of. Yeah, you don't ever want to have an emotional relationship with food because food doesn't have ethics. Food is not good or bad, it is just a composite of what it is. It's a. It's a, a mixture of molecules, right? There's nutrients in it. There's vitamins, minerals, micronutrients, phytonutrients, macronutrients. It just is what it is. It's, it's neither good nor bad. It just is. Um, so just look at it for what it actually is. You know, just a, a composite of molecules that have a physiological effect on you, right? We, we need to remove this ethical, like, good and bad food. Or like, I had a client check in the other day and said, oh, I think I need to eat cleaner. I'm like, come on, we're years past this point. Let me, you know, let's break this down and see what's actually going on here. But yeah, I mean, it's not like, I've got very serious clients, clients that are going for pro cards, clients that are trying to get peeled or clients that, you know, I don't work, I'm not talking from a gem pop thing, I'm talking real high level bodybuilders and I don't include an off-plan meal just for, as an excuse to eat. It's genuinely for a psychological benefit. Is it going to improve your bodybuilding outcomes? No. Uh, yeah, I have a couple of clients that eat so much food that we have to have those bumps in the week. You know, Christian was an example of that at the end of his last off-season when we had to have two off-plan meals a week just to hold his weight where it was, you know. So, yeah, in some cases, but it it's for your health long-term. And it's not and it's it's not about binge eating. It's quite the opposite of that. And I think that's what um, some people will view off-plan meals as, how much can I eat in one sitting. Um. It is the complete opposite of that. It's to be mindful, to have an opportunity to eat socially, to mentally divorce yourself from bodybuilding for one meal, it's to pay attention to hunger signaling, like we were talking about at the end of a contest, Brad. You have meal, one meal, two meal, three, whatever. This is what you're eating. You eat it and you get on with your day. You don't think, am I satiated? Mm. You know, like in my gaining phase now, I don't eat a meal and, and get near the end and go, I've had enough, I'm just going to leave it. No, I'm eating what I'm eating because that's what I've got for this meal. Mm. You know, whereas the off-plan meal, you have a lot of slice of pizza left, but I don't want it. I won't eat it. You know, because you pay attention to hunger signaling. Because I've ever found that even at the end of this diet that we, um, well, that I would say we, me and you, Cal, did together. <laughs> but, like, I remember when I first came out that we were having off-plan meals, I was finishing all the pizza, all the ice cream, having a cookie, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, I can I still feel full. But then, after, like, over time, my body settled, my hunger, like, you know, my hormones settled. Basically, everything settled. And even now, like... I most of the time can't even finish the pizza, but it's just when I, you know, when I first went the diet, I, I finished it all because I wasn't, I was, you know, I still was hungry. And then when I get to now, like last week, 
couldn't finish pizza and like, I just I know now and I remember like last year or even the year before that I don't think I really nailed that um, you would have eaten past it as well you would have been full a thousand calories before you finished the meal mm. do you get what I mean mm. and that's where you need to practice that because ultimately you get to the next show and maybe you'll go off plan for that show and you'll go crazy because you've got no practice mm. it's like the first time you've ever been in the gym how rubbish were you? Yeah. It's like anything. It's like me sitting at the piano now. I'm not going to play a masterpiece. You know, you have to practice everything that you do. And inevitably, you're going to come into a situation where you have to eat off plan. And not freak out. Yeah. So another kind of area that I wanted to come across, because I know it's something that I was struggling to kind of, I guess, get my head around. And there is a really good birth control presentation that Joe has done, which I will leave a link in the episode notes, but from your your hormones are going to be all over the place, right? And a question that can sometimes come up is when is the best time to like remove my birth control? A lot of I remember when I wanted to get rid of my birth control, I think I was told by the coach at the time, wait until you're you know in a post show and you can just wait for hormones to settle, like. Is there certain scenarios where you say, like, no, don't come off birth control right now? Yes, it's a good time to come off birth control. Would it be post-show? Or is that a, a worse thing because then you're going to have to deal with the hormones from your the birth control being removed in addition to post-show hormones? Does that make sense? Um, yeah, well, I mean, firstly, if you're taking exogenous birth control, you're not going to have hormone issues post-show because you're taking your hormones. Okay. So... You, there's so you're going to have androgens, estrogen, progesterone, and the normal HPO axes. If you take a combination estrogen or, or progesterone, that is what's going to determine your estrogen and progesterone levels, and your androgens will be attenuated, reduced because of that, because you're you're turning off the is a negative feedback inhibition, right? So you're not going to have hormonal fluxes within those within the sex steroid hormones if you take a birth control. Even in post show whenever if you're on it yeah you're on it mm -hmm. so if you want to if you want to come off for whatever reason this isn't me saying that women should or shouldn't use birth control i'm not my place to say that but if you were going to come off of your birth control you would probably want to do it when you are in a good spot endogenously to begin to produce your own hormones optimally so you would have a good amount of body fat and your calories would be high, yeah. Sex steroid hormones are, are built on a backbone of cholesterol, so you'd be consuming enough lipids, you'd be in a, a substrate available environment, you know. So you'd have enough body fat on you, for example, I'll paint this really simply. Let's say in terms of like LH and FH uh, and FSH, this is luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. Are you going to be producing these hormones and being fertile if there's not enough food for you? Would it make evolutionary sense that you could then be in a good place to have a child and feed it as well as yourself? Yeah. So this is why I'm in arrear and things like this settle in in a contest prep, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you want to be in a spot where physiologically, I'm great. I've got an abundance of food. I've got an abundance of body fat, right? Mm. Um, so probably not in prep or, or immediately post-show would be when you've got things pretty much back to normal, uh -huh. you know, and then and pull it then if you're going to pull it for whatever reason. So relating from that, say we're talking about someone who has lost their period during prep. 
what sort of scenarios have you come across? What's like the most common thing around that? Um, and I guess how do you, like some people, you you know that they, they get the period back a month after, some people mm. are waiting a year, like why why is there such a big variance and is there anything you can do like if you want to get your period back should you get your period back like is it a bad thing like talk to us all about that yeah it will it will come back eventually assuming that you reinstate normal hormonal function and like we said about lh and fsh you can turn them on and all the downstream hormones that come because of this again estrogen progesterone androgens i.e testosterone I mean, amenorrhea occurs to concentrate because you attenuate all of these hormones. They all go down. You know, which amenorrhea is, a, is lost food, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so the, these all reduce because of the environment that you're in. You don't have that cholesterol backbone to, to build the the hormone structure. Yeah. So these hormones are going to go down. And what can you do about it? Nothing in a prep, unfortunately. Uh, bodybuilding is not healthy. Mm. Um, this is not a good thing. But what you would do... Let's say you're you're um let's say you're just dieting off season right and and you you're pulling out some body fat and you realize in minoria you'd say okay I'm gonna take a diet break now and then when I when I regain menstrual function when my hormonal cycle is the way that it should be I'm gonna move back into a deficit mm-hmm. and that'd be a very quick way to fix it but in a prep if you've got time sure you can have a diet break you can do that. But coming out of like the post-show Yeah, scenario. so coming out, you need to immediately, just like we said, get yourself in a position that you can functionally support endogenous hormone production, mm. which is not reverse dieting. You know, that's the opposite. Yeah. But you need to be in a surplus. If you're not in a surplus, forget it. It's not happening. You're going to need to be in a surplus for a while. This is going to be highly biologically into individual. Compare it to people that take steroids, right? They will turn off their HPG axes. Some people will regain HPG axes function like that. Some people take months. In the very rare case, never again. Mm. Happens with natural bodybuilders. Look at Austin. Could be a natural a few times. Come out one prep, gone. No HPG axes function. It happens, you know. It's so, when I lost my period. I think it went for like a month or two. And then... Like, obviously, we do things quite aggressively. with. Like, yeah, so sometimes it can be like, sorry to cut you up there, but sometimes right. it can be that you you aren't eating enough to support it. So, you know, you immediately when we increased your food, you regained this, your menstrual cycle, right? Mm. So that, that can be a, a sign of overfeeding being required if your goal is to reinstate hormonal function. But is it a bad thing if your period doesn't come back? Um... It can be something that needs to be followed up. And th- th- this is for people not on hormonal birth control, right? Let me just cover that. So I- if you're not using any hormonal birth control, if you struggle to regain menstrual function after a show and you and you think that you're doing everything to support it, simply just go and get a comprehensive hormone panel done. You know, somewhere like Medijex. Have a look under the hood. And then you'll know. Because if you're... If you have really low testosterone, really low estrogen, yes, these things are, uh, are are direct causations of many negative health consequences that will lead to shorter lifespans and greater cardiac disease risk and mm. um, all of these things, you know. But would you say that someone, if they have lost their period, like they should, before attempting another prep, 
that should be the priority. Would you say that or that's up to the individual, isn't it? Okay. That's an ethical consideration. If you if you really care about your health and you really care about your long term HPR axis function, if you said to me, Joe, I don't really care about that. I mean, I'm I'm quite happy to just go on hormone replacement therapy. I say, okay, don't worry about it. Yeah. You know. But if you if you say like, yeah, I want to, like, I'm really interested in, you know, being fertile, and having proper endogenous hormone function, I'd say yeah, forget it. But the problem is that what we do as bodybuilders compete over and over and over and over again. <laughs> you know, it's very unhealthy to constantly attenuate this uh, HPO axes in a female or thyroid axes, and then try and get it going again, and then turn it off and get it going and down. Females especially shouldn't be competing too frequently, you know? Like, what's the most ideal setup? Like, I don't know, I always find, from just, like, talking to girls over the years, say they've, like, come off of this show in October, the ones that try and go straight for April are usually the ones that kind of both physically and mentally come away with, like, issues, I find. So are you asking me the ideal amount of times to compete? Uh, sorry, the amount of time between each show? Yeah. Well, strictly speaking, an ideal amount of times that you compete, never. Um, the only better answer I can give to that is as infrequently as possible. If I had right, to... The most minimum, maybe. Yeah, if I had to give a practical recommendation, once every two years, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Plus, you basically one year off, one year off. Yeah. You You need at least... You know, because if you're prepping for, let's say, four months, you're going to need at least the rest of that year and another one, really. At least. Mm. And that doesn't mean in a gaining phase. Do you think that's the same for guys? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Natural guys. But no, it is, yeah. It's not healthy getting peeled for anyone. And men get a lot leaner than women. For the most part, comparing bikini to bodybuilding. Of course, not comparing figure or physique. So, yeah, I mean, it's the same for guys. I mean, ultimately, we'd avoid being that lean as frequently as possible. If you take your hormones yourself, you're, you're in a little bit of a, bit of a better position to control some of those negatives that come about. You know, if you can say, well, you know, one natural bodybuilder's testosterone might be 100 nanograms per deciliter at the end of a prep, but I could just put mine at 700 and be far healthier. Yeah, you know, I haven't got as much to worry about, you know. Okay, so if you could give like maybe three pieces of advice for anyone who is right now going into pro show and slash or into lockdown, like what would you say would be the biggest like recommendations you will give or priorities that they should be taking right now? So anybody post show, do not hang around in a deficit. Just even if you think you didn't get lean enough for the show or whatever, especially considering lockdowns coming. Use this lockdown as your opportunity to get yourself in the best possible position to expedite your progress when you come back to the gym, right? So, you know, we've got like maybe three weeks here in lockdown, three and a half weeks, whatever. Just take that time as right. I'm going to run, call it a growth phase primer. That I'm sounds gonna, quite good. I'm going to, yeah, bodybuilders have to have words like that to <laughs> get excited about stuff. So... Right, the next three weeks, I'm going to prime for growth. So I'm not really going to train much because I want to resensitize to training volume. Mm. 
that's not something I've made up. That's, that's genuinely something that happens. Because when you get back, you want to progressively and incrementally increase your training volume load, right? So I'm going to resensitize to low volumes of training. So as a female is well elucidated in literature, you require about five quote-unquote hard sets to maintain skeletal muscle mass. So just do five sets per body part per week. Mm. Take those to one or two reps in the tank, a couple of them to failure or whatever. You can do that at home easy. So just realize that you don't need to worry about the gym's closing because you can realize that goal. You can do that with a band. Mm. You don't need to regressively overload here. It's no problem. Just take it to the intensity you need with the amount of sets you need. You can train twice a week. No, do do upper five sets, chest five sets, delts five sets, back cool. You done. Lower five sets, quads five sets, hams. Do a little bit of calves, maybe some hip extension work. You done. It's twice a week. Run this alongside a calorie surplus to get yourself metabolically, hormonally, mentally, physically in a position where you can come into the gym and you can escalate that training volume. Because you growing new muscle, which is a goal now, unless you want to step on stage looking exactly the same as you did last year, let that haunt you. Because that's what you'll do if you fuck around now. Mm. Now is the time. And the people that you got on stage with this year, you might get on stage with them again next year. And they might be capitalising on this time. And you might not be. So just let that rest. You know, Let that be the monkey on your back. That they're going to beat you again. Assuming that they beat you this year. And again. And they again. They could beat you. Yeah, you just get yeah. or you could beat them if they're resting on their laurels. Mm. So do what you need to do. Growth of skeletal muscle tissue is a substrate-dependent mechanism. It requires a calorie surplus. You go in the gym and you create the novel stimulus, the imposed demand that leads to the adaptation of muscle growth. That muscle growth needs a calorie surplus to settle in. All right, and you need sufficient glycogen and triglycerides, especially in a woman. What's triglycerides? Uh, lipids, fats, intra- oh. intramuscular triglycerides, intramuscular glycogen, more so in women, triglycerides than, than men. You need this to be able to resistance drain and drive remodeling of skeletal muscle mm. efficiently. You're going to need to be overfed by the time the gym reopens. And you're going to need to be able to escalate the training demands, get stronger, do more reps, do more sets, whatever it is. You need to do that. If the food's not in place, then you're in the wrong spot. All right, another one. So we've done food, we've done training. Use this as a time to perfect your nervous system management protocol. Okay. Use the word protocol again because bodybuilders need to feel like it's... um, Well, we've got primer, protocol. (laughs) The... The, the autonomic nervous system protocol. Are you trying to make complicated words on? No, because the autonomic nervous system is a branch of the central nervous system that, that will, in very basic terms, we have the sympathetic branch and the parasympathetic branch, right? We, mm. Or you could call them the, the fight and flight or feed and breed or rest and digest. Mm-hmm. Clues in the name. Rest and digest. Mm. What do we need to do? Well, we need nutrient partitioning, right? We need to be able to put the food... We need to dispose of it into skeletal muscle. Um, So we need to rest and we need to digest. So use this three weeks as, right, I'm going to build a daily routine that is so nailed on allowing my parasympathetic tone to be so high that I could recover from exponentially more training than in the past. I can have such a greater stimulus for such a greater return. My sleep's going to be great. I'm going to look at the duration. I'm going to look at the latency, the efficiency, how much percentage of deep and REM sleep I'm getting. 
what my blue light exposure is like, what's my sleep environment like, what am I doing in the morning, what's my morning routine, do I get a nap in every day, do I meditate every day, am I doing all the recovery modalities that I could be doing, use the time to perfect that and do more of it, if you're sitting at home doing nothing, fuck it, do it all day, every day, because then when you come back into the gym, you explode. You know, so there's a lot of stuff you can do in this time that's very important for the post-show period because, you know, you hear this stuff about post-show rebound, blah, blah, blah. Yes, very insulin sensitive. Yes, you can push more aggressively here. But really, you need to first get in a good spot to grow. Mm. You know, so just do that. It's the perfect time for people that are post-show for a lockdown to come. Because you've got shit that you need to do that doesn't require excessive mechanical loading. So just do it, and you've got all the time in the world to do it, so just do it really well, and it might only take you three weeks instead of six or nine. That's true. That's very true. So just nail it. Cool. Right, I'm going to leave it there, but, but thanks for coming on, both. That's true. <laughs> I didn't actually have to go anywhere today. Exactly. But if this has been helpful, then um, please do share as per usual. Feel free to ask any questions, if you want to kind of collect them, then I can just get Joe on the podcast. But I just thought I'd grab him today because he was a little bit quieter before. Well, like, I don't blame you for not doing anything home workout-wise until we 100% know the gyms are closing, so fingers crossed. Right, so we're recording this on the Sunday with the announcement of lockdown coming into Monday. I haven't written any clients' protocols yet. I don't really know what's going on yet, so I don't want to um, jump the gun. Well, you've listened to this podcast quite a bit, babe. So you know what should be coming now. I've listened to every episode of this podcast. So what's coming then? What makes me not just a bikini girl? So, well, go I'm on. not. I'm not a bikini girl. That's a shit answer. Um. Uh. What makes me not just a bikini girl? I don't know. Because I'm, I'm not. Yeah, but that's a shit answer. The question should be: What makes me a bikini girl? Go on then. What makes you a bikini girl? I think I know a lot about. Ask me a question about bikini and stuff. <laughs> and I bet I can answer it. <laughs> like what? I don't know. Um, I've been around it a lot. Oh, I don't know what to ask you. This is useless. Yeah, Go um, on, show off, show off what you've been learning. I can name a few shoes, like the, the Flare 408. <laughs> Go on. Is that a shoe? That is a shoe. Um, the, the, the cocktail... <laughs> Something. This is actually like evidence that you listen to me yeah. and my mum. Some of them have like one strap, some of them have two. Love it. Is that right? Yeah, that's pretty spot on. Earrings and that, I know what what's going on with them, bikini colours. Yeah. I've, I've listened to that, loads of girls were wearing a red one, <laughs> now they're wearing a black one. <laughs> I knew, I heard that on the podcast. Well done. Um, Proud of you. Yeah. What did you think of the next fitness model then? Because you've been to a couple of shows this year, looking at the bikini class, is there kind of differences that you're noticing? Yeah, it was different. Presentation was different. Posing very different. I, I think the NFM UK is probably the best ran show that I've been to this year, mm. actually. No offence to any other shows. They were great. But I think NFM UK came out on top on the way that it was ran. Um, softer look, for sure. But NFM. I, yeah, but I think they're rewarded. Which I personally like for bikini, you know. I think that's where... That's what the class is for. Mm. I don't like it when it moves to being too hard. Don't get me wrong, I'm a bodybuilding fan. I love conditioning, but I just don't think that's what it's for. Do you know what I mean? I don't think that's what the, the class is for. Same with men's physique. I don't think that's meant to be bodybuilder hard. Um, 
just just my opinion. I, I like the way that um, the bikini class was looking in MFA Mika, actually. That's how I like to see bikini, you know. Mm. So, yeah. Why did you ask me that? No, I was just wondering, because you've been to quite, you've been to two rows from PCA, you've done yeah. NFM, like, there's, there's lots of differences across those bikini classes, which I think kind of threw people off slightly. I think some people thought that they could turn up with the same condition at every single show and get the same result, whereas I think it's definitely showing this year that the different, they are, there are, this, I would say there are distinct differences yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. between, like, the conditioning and what is required in their criteria, which I thought was quite, you know insightful potentially for people yeah you, you need to know what, you, what you're coming in for in those in those shows you can't just think this is the look that i like the best and i'm just going to turn up everywhere with that because it might not be the look the judges like the best you know mm. they should compete in just a showcase of physique which is cool but I, most people are competing to win aren't they true true well i'll leave it there but um thanks babe well done mm. for answering the question and knowing two shoes i'm proud I don't know what Go on, one more. Flare, cocktail. One more. Oh, he's going to stumble now. Yeah, I actually can't think of one. Oh, flare. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't think of one. Oh, he stumbled. Give me one, give me one. Lip. Yeah, I know the lip. The lip number is not three. No. Is it the lip four away, actually? No. No, I know the lip. Is the lip the one with um? Gone. Oh, what do they call it? Platform. Yeah, well done. Yeah, there you go. See, yeah. I know, see, I do know what the lip one is. <laughs> well, if anyone needs uh, help with shoes, then you know who to contact. Joe Jeffrey, not me. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll catch you in the next episode.